Well, several years ago, we served with a mission agency, but we happened to be based in the United States. And it was a bit of a difficult time for our family because we, um, the Australian dollar wasn't very strong against the US dollar. And I've shared before a couple of these moments, but um, I remember, for instance, one occasion before the kids went off to school, um, one of them, I forget which one, they just needed $2 for school photos. Now, those of you who are parents know that if you can get a deal like that, school photos for $2, that is an amazing deal. And I remember this moment where Bron and I looked at each other and we, we thought, do you know what? We don't have $2. It was our, our income was just so tight and every dollar was accounted for. And uh, I remember approaching Christmas just a few days out and thinking there is nothing under the tree. And I just felt like a father. I just felt absolutely, absolutely terrible. It was a really, really tough time. And it was around that time that um, we were invited to a friend's birthday party. We, we lived in Fayette County, one of the, about, I think, the 10th wealthiest counties in the whole of the US. And, and so many of the people that we met in church circles and so forth, um, they had lovely homes and so forth. And, and so for our friend's birthday, it was, it was at his home, but he was cooking up a grill and, and um, it, was, it was amazing. I guess there were maybe somewhere between 50, 60 people there and and for each of us, like, uh, you know, if you came to the Hunt household, we'd probably do sausages. Um, but this was like these beautiful filet mignons this thick and they were cooked to perfection. And it was just, oh, wow, we, we could not believe it. Anyway, the um, um, sort of uh, main part of the meal was served and people, because it was a little bit chilly, were heading on inside. And I remember this moment where, where Bron and I were just sort of walking around outside the house or in the backyard and, and walking around. And, and I guess our, our thoughts were, was never far away from our thoughts, just how are we going to get through this week? What's that going to look like? And, and just at that moment, the host came out onto the, the back deck and uh, came out to the barbecue where there were about four or five um, steaks still sitting there. And... Uh, um, at that moment, he looked at that and he sort of saw us over there. He said, oh, hi, how are you going, guys? Have a little romantic stroll or something. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he whistled and his two dogs came up and he grabbed the remaining steaks. And to my shock and horror, he just threw them to the, to the dogs one by one by one. And I was speechless. Um, wow, we, I had never, never seen that kind of waste. And I mean, they were nice dogs, but truly these were, these were amazing steaks. And we were just thinking there is no way in our, in our kind of, you know, weekly grocery budget, we could ever afford that. To see them just being thrown to the dogs was, it was, it was shocking. I guess in that moment, we kind of felt a little bit like, you know, our, our whole situation, um, nobody else knew it. It was almost like we were, and, and our difficulty, our challenge, we were just not seen by anyone else. It was almost like, like we were invisible. That's one thing, you know, to feel like you're invisible to other people. It's quite another thing to feel like you're invisible to God. And the passage we're going to look at tonight is one such instance where somebody could have felt very, very easily that they were invisible to God. 
that God did not see them, did not hear them, and perhaps, worse of all, did not even really care about them. As we're growing in our faith and our discipleship, there are many times where we have things in our lives which we, we sorely want to hand over to God and, and we want him to intervene in this matter or that. We can offer up prayers and it, se- it feels like, you know, God is answering everybody else's prayers. He's even answering, you know, prayers of, 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 of people that aren't even seriously praying to him. It's like throwing out filet mignons to just anyone. And somehow we're in the middle of all this, watching as observers, thinking, but why can't he hear me? Why can't God see me? Why am I invisible to God? And that is a very, very challenging lesson to navigate. But tonight, God is going to help us. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, which I hope will be an encouragement to you, of what does faith look like when it seems that God is slow to answer. So grab your Bibles and and open up to Mark chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 24 to 30. It's a really, really interesting story. There's something in here which I think is going to stun you just a little bit, but we're going to work through that and we're going to get to what it is that God has for us to learn from this passage tonight. So Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre, which is near modern-day Lebanon now. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the little children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. This is one of those stories where you've got to look at this lady and think, wow, I can learn something from you. She really stands out in this story as a little bit of a bit of a hero for a couple of reasons. But there is something about faith that we can learn from, from this woman. The context here, just before we think the disciples are being too unfair and nasty, the, the context here is, is that the disciples and Jesus had been copping a fair bit of flat. Yes, the crowds were gathering around them and sometimes exhausting them, but other things were happening as well. And that was there was also opposition coming their way. And so this was a time, it was kind of quite strategic, by sort of going into Gentile territory, it was, it was more likely than not that when they were here, they weren't going to be bothered in the same way. They'd really come here for rest. Now, we kind of know a little bit what that was like. Going around Australia, we'd, we'd drive into a town and, and it was our, 
our real desire to, to actually, as we came into a town, to kind of, you know what, just rest, just be, not be bothered, bothered too much by, by others. And so we'd, we'd often come in and choose a caravan park and you'd go to the office to find out where the spot was and, and find out you're lined up right next to other people and pull in. But I guess secretly, you know what, sometimes just hoping that we would still be just left alone because we were just tired. We wanted to rest. I reckon that's possibly a little bit how the disciples were as well. They came into town. They really didn't want a whole lot of attention. They didn't want to be noticed. They just wanted a little bit of rest, a little bit of time with Jesus and just to be, to be left alone. And this is the context in which somehow, somehow word gets around that, that they have come to town. And this woman finds out about it and she comes rushing and she's, she's outside and she's, she's trying to be seen, but she can't be seen. Then she's trying to be heard and she can't be heard. And she ultimately comes begging at the feet of Jesus, begging for help. She's at her end. Her daughter is controlled by an evil spirit. And nothing that she or others had been able to do was, was changing that fact. She really desperately needed help. So she comes begging. The same story that we've got here in Mark is also recorded in Matthew. And Matthew includes just a couple of extra, extra details for us. Um, it's interesting. As she comes begging, Matthew records, and Jesus did not say a word. So you kind of get the picture here. This woman has found the disciples in Jesus. She, she wants Jesus. She needs Jesus. She, she desperately wants to talk to Jesus and for Jesus to intervene because she's got this need that nobody else can help her with. So she comes to the house and, and, and the disciples are kind of ignoring her and, and she's begging for help. But the one that she's begging from, Jesus, the one that she's possibly heard is a healer and a teacher and, and compassionate and perhaps even full of mercy. And he does not say a word. Do you have a prayer like that? You've come to God because he's the only person who can help you with this. You've offered it up. You've repeated it many, many times. You've begged God to intervene. You've begged God to please do something. But all you hear back is the echo of your own voice. It's like God doesn't say a word and it's confusing and it's baffling and and. You might wonder at that moment, what am I doing wrong? Here I am coming before God. Am I even in the right place? Did the woman wonder that? Did she wonder, did I get the right house? Is this the teacher that I heard about? Is this the one who can help me, who's full of compassion and mercy and can, and can heal people and cast out demons? Did I hear right? Is this the right place? What's wrong here? He's not even answering me. Am I in the right place? You know, you're supposed to ask that question. In these times when you offer up a prayer and it seems like the answer is not forthcoming, you're supposed to ask that question, am I in the right place? You see, that's the kind of question that shows that you have done an inventory of your options. I've come to God because I think he can help me. Well, I don't know, I've offered up my prayer. I'm not hearing anything back. It's like he's not answering. So then you go through your little inventory. Okay, what other options do I have? Well, I could go to this friend. Maybe they can help me. I could go to this friend. Maybe they can help me. If God's not answering my prayer, maybe the whole thing's a hoax. Maybe, maybe these doubts are real. Maybe I'm just in the wrong place. 
God can use those, those moments for you to do a complete inventory and come to a place where you are absolutely sure about where it is at the feet of Jesus that you should be. You are absolutely sure I should be here. There is no other place for me to go. I am out of options. I have come to the end of myself. And here I am before God waiting for him. I haven't heard an answer. I do not know why yet Jesus has not answered. But my inventory is clear. There are no other options. I'm in the right place. I have to be here. This is the point. Honestly, sadly, where some people do walk away. Maybe there was even a little bit of a test here. Is she serious? Does she really believe I am who I am? Am I really her only option now? Or is she just trying, trying this out, seeing if something happens? Does she really believe? This is the point where in our Christian life, sometimes we can be tempted to wander. We give up, we kind of feel like Jesus isn't answering. You know what? Nobody's got to, there's no hope here. There's no solution to this. Nobody's got to live with it, normalize it, whatever it is. God wants to use those moments. Even yes, if we wander away temporarily, he wants us to, to use these moments to do a complete inventory and come to that place where I've tried everything else. I have exhausted my list of options. Do you know what? There's nowhere else to turn. I have to come to that place at the feet of Jesus because there's nothing else for me that will answer this, this deep, deep need that I have. But she doesn't walk away. Because she is at that place. She's gone through that inventory. She has exhausted her options and she knows, okay, Jesus is the only one who offers me a solution. And so again, Matthew tells us that the disciples actually are so annoyed by her begging and her persistence. They are so annoyed by the fact that she continually cries out that the disciples go to Jesus and say, you know, obviously Jesus hasn't responded to her. He obviously isn't. Jesus, could you just tell her to go away? We tried. She didn't. Could you just tell her, come on, go away, go down the street. But the beautiful thing is we get from that glimpse the fact that she was continually crying out <laughs> to the point where it was kind of annoying. And that tells us something about her faith. Here she is demonstrating a faith that perseveres. She is essentially saying this, I'm not going anywhere. And I think Jesus loves that. He loves that, that even though she hasn't got her answer yet, she's not going anywhere. She is not going away. She continually cries out. She persists. She perseveres. She is there until she gets an answer from God. And that kind of faith Jesus commends. The sort of thing that we can learn from this woman in those, those times where it feels like, like heaven is shut and, and God somehow is not hearing our prayer. In those times, one of the faith lessons that we can learn 
is that of persevering and persisting with God. And there's another lesson here too, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky and you probably saw it there in the passage where we read through it. It feels like (laughs) more than the fact that Jesus is ignoring her, it feels like, doesn't it? First glance, first read, Jesus is just outright offensive. Let's have a, let's have a look at that and see what, see what we're to understand here. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Verse 27, Jesus says, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, there is offence here, but it's not the offence that you might think. The Greek word for, for dogs there, kumaion, is a small dog or a puppy, like a household dog. This is not your big guard dog. This is not your general, general dog. This is, this, is, this is the sort of dog that you let inside that literally could sit under the table. It's a small dog, like a puppy. Um, you, if you take a literal Bible translation or a dynamic equivalent, it's not going to capture it. But probably if you get into your paraphrases, you will, you will start, to, you'll start to see that, ah, this is, this is like the household dog, the puppy, the little screeching ones that, you know, are, you know so this is, this, this is that kind of dog. So what's going on here? Um, why, does, why does Jesus say this? Effectively, Jesus is saying the whole household will be fed but the children must come first. Now note here that Jesus is unashamedly saying that there are, there are ministry priorities and I am constrained by them. We know from John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, I only do that which I see my father doing. Ministry for Jesus seems to be this, where is my father at work? Okay, I can see him at work. And he even senses Strangely, surprisingly, in this situation amongst the Gentiles, his father is at work. His father is at work right here. But it's interesting how it unfolds. Jesus is admitting that there are ministry priorities and he is constrained by them. He only does what he sees his father doing, and unashamedly so. The difference between a good thing and a God thing is often timing. It's often timing. So this is not so much a question of value, that is to say, you have no value like a dog. This is a question of priority. The children of Israel have priority here for now, for now. I am called primarily to the children of Israel. Is there enough for everyone? Will there be some crumbs under the table? Yes, there will. The whole household will get fed. But my priority right now, the children of Israel. And so that's, that's what she is to understand. In these times when we are waiting on, on God and waiting for an answer, it's important that we don't confuse God's timing with God's favour. Have you ever done that? You're waiting for an answer? You have a prayer and it seems like heaven is silent. You don't know what that's about. Have you ever been tempted to confuse God's timing with God's favour? I think you, me, and everybody else in the entire world. (laughs) But they're different. This is not a question of favour here. This is just a question of timing. 
And it seems that she understands this because she has the, the most amazing response, you know, probably for many of us. And this is why I say we can learn from this woman. For many of us, we possibly would have heard that reply from Jesus. You know, it's not right to, um, to, to give the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Right at that moment, even if you did understand that it's a question of, of timing and priority more than it is of, of favour or value, even if you did understand that, for a lot of people, you would at that moment, would you not just kind of step back a little bit and say, ha, huh, well, I guess that's that then, <laughs> you know, and retreat, yeah, but she doesn't. This is amazing. I, I love her response. It's so quick. And she says, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Wow. Her response is so different from what we've seen. Chapter 5, Jesus' family, his hometown. Chapter 6, the Pharisees. She starts by using the term Lord, a Gentile, calling Jesus Lord. It could mean master. It is always used of the Messiah. But it always was a reverent term for someone who has ultimate authority. Remember what her problem is. She has a daughter who is possessed by a demon. Nobody seems to have the authority to cast that demon out and to help her. No one has that authority. She has come to the one person in her sphere that she thinks might be able to help her. She calls him Lord because she believes you do have ultimate authority. You have authority over this demon. You have authority to help me and to help my daughter. So she comes and she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. The first lesson we can learn from this woman was that she had a faith that perseveres. It was a faith that says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. The second lesson is that she has a faith that truly believes. Deep, deep down, she truly believes that Jesus is the answer to her problem. It's like she is saying, okay, I understand your ministry priorities, but I know you won't refuse me a crumb. Because she knew that a crumb, if it was from God, would fully satisfy her need. I love that. I love that about her faith. I'm not going anywhere. And ultimately, deep, deep within me, I truly believe you will not refuse me a crumb. And a crumb from you is all I'm asking for. And it's all that I need. Again, Matthew gives us a little bit of a hint of how Jesus feels about her. Mark tells us for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Matthew includes the fact that Jesus also comments, you have great faith. You have great faith. Jesus commends her for her faith. He sees that your kind of faith 
says, I'm not going anywhere. I have no other options. You are the only one. You are expressing the kind of faith that says, I truly believe, I truly believe that you would not deny me a crumb from the table. She just won't go away and she knows deep down that God will not refuse her. Here we see in this Gentile woman a beautiful, stubborn resolve. That's the kind of faith that God applauds. What is it? Here's a riddle. What is it that becomes most visible when we can't see a thing? Faith. The greatness or the measure of our faith is often most clear when we just can't see. And I believe that that God tonight wants to to reassure you that yes, there there are times, definite times, where you feel you're invisible to others. Perhaps even invisible to God. There are times where you have been crying out and you don't seem to hear an answer and you're wondering, what is wrong with me? Am I in the wrong place? And I want to tell you tonight, you are not in the wrong place. You're in exactly the right place. Don't confuse God's timing of his answer with how much he loves you. Don't confuse timing and favour. They're different. You're in exactly the right place. And this is that opportunity now. When you don't see anything real clear, this is that opportunity for your faith to become truly visible for what it is. A faith that says, I'm not going away, God. I don't care how long this takes. I don't care what people say. I don't care about those doubts to creep in, that creep in. I don't, I don't care about what anyone else in the whole stinking world thinks. I'm not going anywhere. You're my option A, and I won't settle for anything less. That is the kind of faith that God is looking for. And then on top of that to say, and I truly believe you won't deny my request. It may be a crumb, but a crumb of grace from you. It's all I need. It's all I need. That'll do it. That'll do it. Would you like a crumb tonight? Have you got a prayer that needs a crumb of grace One of the beautiful things about being community, about being church together, about being brothers and sisters in Christ, about being family, you don't have to go it alone. That, by the way, is a lie of the enemy. You know, you're best just doing this alone. (laughs) Lie, lie. I want to pray for you tonight. and, And my sense is that there are people here tonight and you want that crumb of grace. But maybe 
you're feeling a little bit tired and a little bit alone. Maybe you're feeling a little bit worn out and you're not quite sure if you've got the faith to ask. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Let's ask together, shall we? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to pray together in a moment and, and I'll pray with you, believing for that crumb of grace. Have you given up? Have you stopped asking? Have you been tempted to wander away? Check out the other options? Have you done that? Now's the time to come back to Jesus. And in that secret place in your heart where you know that you can meet with God, in that place where you are visible to him, we're going to ask our request. We're going to ask for that crumb of grace. Just going to give you a moment. Come into his presence. Turn your affection towards him. Holy Spirit, if there are barriers, if there are, there are things standing in the way at the moment, I just pray that you would remove them. Let nothing stand right now in the way. of your children and their heavenly Father. We're asking for, as it were, a, a straight, unobstructed corridor of grace right to the throne of heaven. Maybe you can, in your mind's eye, you can picture that corridor. And whether you can see what's at the end or not, I'll tell you what's there. Your heavenly Father with his arms open wide. All the power, all the grace, everything that you need. Hebrews tells us, thank you to the high priestly work of Jesus Christ and his shed blood, that you can boldly approach the throne of God. It's a promise. You can. Jesus has made the way. He takes you by the hand. He leads you forward to his heavenly father, your heavenly father. You're just asking for a crumb. It's all you need, a crumb of grace. But he presents you with a loaf. Because that's what a good father does. So I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight. Heavenly Father, 
I want to especially ask for those who feel that they have been invisible to you. I want to pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and manifest yourself to them. You would reveal yourself to them. That they may receive a touch of grace at their point of deepest need. Maybe they're only just hanging on, and that's okay. Because we're here to hang on with them. Maybe they feel in danger of letting go. That's okay. We won't let go. Maybe they feel they've disappointed you. That's okay. Jesus has reappointed us. There's not a need in this room that you don't know about. There's not a secret that that you don't already clearly know everything about. The truth is that the things which we keep quiet and, and we think nobody else knows about them, you know about them. But you know more about them than we know about them. <laughs> you know why things happen. You know motivations. You know, you know what goes on in our heads and our hearts. You know everything there is to know about us. And that's the beauty of it. You know all of that. And yet continue to surround us with your love. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for meeting us. Thank you for that touch of grace. And we're going to believe you tonight with that same faith that we've just read about, the one that says, I truly believe that you will not deny my request. We're going to believe that you have answered that. And then, again, that that deep part of you, if you have just been crying out or if you have just presented your request to God. Now I want you to say in the quietness of your heart, and I choose to believe he has heard me. I choose to believe, truly believe. That he will not refuse me my crumb. We thank you, Father, that it is so. It is so. And what the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen.